No. Well, thank you for your patience. Just like to say how thankful Barbara and I are to be able to visit here again. We've been meaning to come here uh, over the last couple of years. I think it's about four years since we were here the last time. Uh, but there's always something happening, very busy, busy as we serve the Lord, traveling to many different places. In fact, we've put 30,000 miles on our car in the last eight months, plus uh, other trips around. So, yeah, we keep moving and visiting, and always, unfortunately, any time we planned possibly coming here, something else came up and uh, it was urgent or whatever. So, But we're so thankful to be here. And thankful to be able to share with you something of what God is doing. And uh, I've chosen this verse here today. As you can see, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with him. And, and I'd like you just to think about this the whole time that we're talking about what is happening now in Colombia and what happened in the past, that just because of a few seeds that were sown many years ago, those seeds, the Lord was able to take it, the Lord was able to uh, increase the growth, and the Lord has brought about an abundant harvest that is uh, just incredible. It's something that is mind-boggling to think about. Now, there are a couple of people I'm going to mention today, and some of you uh, older folk perhaps might remember Alan Tonkin, he, uh, he was a, a vagabond. He was a, uh, a man who claimed to be an atheist in Colombia, working with CUSO, Canadian Universities Overseas. And he lived on our street, and he walked up and down our street in Colombia, and he was saying how terrible the missionaries are coming here to change the culture of these people. And he was uh, always against us. And then one day, he and I got together, and we were talking, and he said, well, what do you do here? Why are you here? And I told him, and I happened to mention that every now and again I go out into the jungles of Colombia to uh, go and visit the Christians in the, in the jungle areas. He said, I want to come with you the next time. I tried to put him off. I said, no, 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 you wouldn't like it. There are gorillas, communist gorillas there. They're likely to kill you or kidnap you. And there are mosquitoes and there's yellow fever and, and malaria and there are huge snakes and all these sorts of things. He said, no, 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 I don't worry about that sort of thing. I, I'm going to come with you. And finally... I just thought, I don't know what the Lord's doing, but I'm going to take this guy. I told him, you, you must watch your mouth and your language. I don't want to go in there as a missionary with this guy who's got this horrible language in Spanish, English, and I don't know what other languages. But anyway, he went with me, and uh, we had a, a really great time. That's the jungle hotel where we stayed. And uh, you can see him there in the uh, our bunk beds. They're very nicely equipped. And we visited different farms and villages out in the, in the jungle areas. And I made him hold the candle while I was preaching at night. He told me originally, I said, I'll be preaching everywhere we go. He said, I can block my ears off to all of that. So I made him hold the candle out in the jungle. And the wax was running down his finger. And you can imagine what it's like in the jungle with all the bugs coming and flying around the only light in the area. And he's swatting flies and mosquitoes. And uh, Anyway, he heard the messages. And uh, I, I gave him a really bad time. I, I wanted to show him, we missionaries are not just you know, crazy people with, uh, you know, uh, so holy that we couldn't have our feet on the ground. So I tricked him up. I made him fall in the mud in one place. And all sorts of things that happened. Anyway, on the, on the way home, uh, here's one of the snakes that he, uh, whoops, he got to see there. You see it on the, on the, uh, below there, the snake on the ground. And uh, it's down here. 
that came out. He was very impressed with that. And, uh, and then on the, way, on the train on the way home, we were out there for a couple of weeks, and uh, he took this photograph of me on the back of the train. There were so many people with ducks and chickens and goats and pigs and all sorts of things inside sitting down. So we were out in the fresh air at the back of the train. And he, he was saying to me, why were those people so happy out there? They don't have anything, a dirt floor, hardly enough to eat. And of course, I was able to say, oh, well, because they have the Lord, that's what makes a difference in every, everybody's life. And just to cut a long story short, he eventually got saved a month or two later. And uh, he, uh, after a little while, we were talking about growing in the Lord and so on. He wanted to be baptized, and we had a brand new chapel there that we just finished building in 1974. And uh, I said, we've got a nice tank there for a baptism. He said, no, 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 no. I found the Lord in the jungle. I want to get baptized out in the jungle. So I took him out to the ha one house in another area of the jungle. And this is um, the Duartes family's farm. Now, this is where the stories are interconnected. You get the idea of what's happening here, what the Lord is doing. And uh, I'm baptizing their oldest girl, Aminta. She was 12 at the time in that little puddle in front of their home. And then Alan Tonkin took that photograph, and then I baptized him in there in that puddle. And uh, he was so excited, and he uh, said, now I want to teach Sunday school. We had 320 kids in our Sunday school in Bukaramanga, the big city where we lived. I didn't want to let him loose with those kids. So I took him back to the farm, because there are a number of children in the farm. That's Alan there at the back, and uh, the father beside him. Aminta is the girl in front of the father on the right-hand side. The mother's beside the Aminta. A couple of the other children, plus some visitors who are coming along as well. So uh, I took him up to the farm again, and he was teaching there Sunday school for the very first time. Can you believe it? He, uh, he was there. I taught him how to use a flannel graph. We didn't have electronics back there, and there was no electricity in the jungle anyway. And so uh, he was teaching them how, about the Lord Jesus using flannel graphs. And these children you see here are the ones that we'll, you'll see later on in the, as the story develops. And uh, that's uh, the Duarte family out in front of their jungle home. And as you can see, there's quite a number of them. I'm getting hot here. Um, hope you don't mind me taking my coat off. That's fine there. Um, you can see the families. Uh, you see the type of house they're in, thatch roof, dirt floor. And uh, the, the family kept growing. And uh, there were eventually 13 in the family. There are only uh, something like 11 in that one, if you count them. Another interesting sideline to all of this is that Alan Tonkin's testimony was so great that there was another CUSO worker in Kukuta as a nurse. Her name was Susan, and uh, she eventually got saved, and I baptized her in, in Kukuta, and then recommended her to the Windsor Assembly a number of years back, and she was, she was married here in this chapel, Susan Block. I guess you know, some of you will remember the name. And, uh, of course, she went, they, her husband went off to the mission field. So interesting, you know, how that seed is connected there and growing. Uh, another interesting thing, we'll just go back for a sec. Um, another interesting thing is that uh, Alan Tonkin called me up about a year and uh, a little over a year ago. And he said, I've just retired from work in Australia, and I was a, a teacher. <clears throat> and he said, I bet you can't tell me where I am. I said, I have no idea. He said, I, I'm, uh, my wife and I, Maria, we decided to be missionaries. We're in the back of China, up near Nepal, somewhere in the mountains of China. Now, that little seed that was sown back there in Colombia, still producing fruit. 
And, and this is what I, I'd like, to, like us all to understand today. We need to be those who are sowing the seed. Now, just before that, we saw the, that's the ELN. They're the, the communist guerrillas who are working in that area where the Duartes were living. And uh, so uh, they, they were coming demanding money of the, of the family. They were dirt poor. They didn't have a lot of money. If you don't pay your quota every month, we're going to come and take the boys and put them in the ranks of the guerrillas, train them as guerrillas, and the girls will take for other reasons. And uh, so what did Dad do? He left. He ran. He went to uh, Kukuta, which is, uh, you see the area there, Kukuta. You see it's right on the Venezuelan border. And they lived there for a couple of years, but the guerrillas found them there again, the uh, urban guerrillas connected with the ELN. And uh, they came along and said, okay, you've got to start paying your quotas, otherwise we're going to start killing the family one by one. And there were 13 kids, so you can imagine how uh, Felis, the father, he was, he just, he just, what can I do? He just took off and he ran up to the north coast, up to, to Barranquilla on the north coast, uh, the Caribbean there. And it was well away from where there was a lot of guerrilla activity, and uh, so they were safe there. But while they were in Kukuta, the two oldest boys, they began to work in a shoe manufacturing place, and they learned how to make shoes. And so when they got to, to Barranquilla, they were, they'd been doing this for a number of years, and so they began to set up their own, their own factory for making shoes and handbags and all those sorts of things in leather. And uh, today, they have each of the brothers as a factory with 50 people working under them making shoes and leather goods, which is being exported to other countries, and they're doing very, very well financially. But the interesting story is that when they got there, the, uh, the father, uh, he, he, he began to, to teach them the things that they had learned from Andrew Roethlisberg and I, who visited them regularly back in the early 1970s. And then this, this letter came from uh, Ruby Campbell, who was the representative for Emmaus International, which is the correspondence school ministry that I'm involved with. And um, I'd met her down there, and I'd, I'd known her when I was living in Colombia. She said, we have a student whose name is Yoli Duarte from Cucuta, but now living with a husband and two young boys here in Barranquilla. Her parents had contacts with, an Australia, with Australian missionaries serving in Bukaramanga and were one to the Lord and received excellent early teaching using the beginning Emmaus courses. The Duarte's parents continued to use the courses to teach their 13 children when they moved to Barranquilla and started a shoe manufacturing business and they continued to meet in their house for worship and Bible teaching. So, the interesting thing was, I was down there in April last year, when I, as soon as I got this uh, email, I said, well, I've got to go down there and find out what happened to that family. I always wondered what happened to that family. They just disappeared as far as we were concerned. And so I was so thrilled to know that they were going on for the Lord down there. And then I found out that these are the courses that Andrew Roethlisberger and I gave them, Emmaus correspondence courses. The father had been trained with these courses. He kept his exam results, and he made all of his 13 children do these courses. He trained them on the basis of these courses with Bible training as well. And then later on, when these 13 children got married, all the spouses had to do the courses as well. 
He wouldn't let them write in the books, in the exam papers. He made them do it on a separate sheet of paper because he didn't want to lose these books. They thought they were the only ones left in Colombia. Can you believe it? And so he trained all of those uh, 13 plus 13 spouses, uh, and they all came to the Lord, and they were all following the Lord. And when I was down there uh, visiting, they had a little get-together, and and they all started to tell me, the different older ones, the, the early children, Dad always used to say to us, Brother Ian used to say, don't get mixed up with the JWs, don't get mixed up with the Pentecostals, don't get mixed up with this crowd or that crowd. And so when we got here to Barranquilla, we decided to form our own church. And so they had a home church and meeting together as uh, just simple believers. And of course, some of these courses were there to help them understand that. Now they have 35 grandchildren, and Father trained each one of those 35 grandchildren from those same Emmaus courses over the years. Now there are seven great-grandchildren as well, and they're all following the Lord. So they have a, a home assembly with over 60 people in it, mainly family members. They have a few from outside who come, are coming along and, the, and the, the local assembly is growing there. And they're doing things maybe just a tiny bit differently to the way we would because when they left, uh, they only broke bread when Andrew and I were either visiting with them uh, because there was just the one family and just a couple of the older children who were saved. And so when we went there, we, we broke bread with them and that's all they knew. So they, they, some, some of the ways they do things is a tiny bit different, and that's okay. They're ready to learn, and they are learning. And so uh, it's pretty exciting to see what the Lord is doing. I had this letter from, uh, email from Yorley right after I'd heard from Ruby Campbell in uh, Barranquilla from the Emmaus office there. And uh, she was able to tell me later on that they thought they were the only courses left in all of Colombia. And one day she went down to a... Uh, uh, a Christian bookshop because uh, she was wanting materials because she decided to start teaching in the schools, in the public schools in Colombia. She wanted to take the, the gospel to the next generation. And so uh, she was, she'd been using some of the courses uh, for what she was doing, but she was in this bookshop and she was uh, looking at different things and she heard a lady talking to the manager there say, saying something about Emmaus. She swung around and she said, Emmaus? Did you say Emmaus? You mean to say there are Emmaus books here in, in, in Barranquilla? And uh, yeah, it's just down the road there. Ruby Campbell's the director for Emmaus. So she went down there and bought all 80 of the courses uh, in Spanish and uh, so excited to go back and tell the family that, hey, these aren't the only ones because the father would never let the, the, them touch these books on their own. He had to be there to guide them because he didn't want the books to be destroyed thinking they were the only courses left in Colombia. But anyway, now she's uh, quite excited about that and she wrote this to me in an email right after that. We don't have words to express what we feel as we feel that you are like a family. Many thanks for all you did for our family, for the fruit of which remains. Thanks for the precious seed and the love you sowed in us. And there again is that what I want to impress on all of us today is the sowing of the seed. And it doesn't matter where we are, it doesn't matter who we are, whether we're on a mission field or whether we're right home in Windsor, we need to be sowing the seed somehow with people that are around us because we don't know what the Lord's going to do with that seed. And I had no idea what the Lord was going to do with the seed that we sowed out in that little jungle family where there was nothing around and, uh, and it was 
for, for me at the age, of, at that time I was 34, so I was a lot younger and had a lot more energy than I have now. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we just had fun going out into the jungle and sleeping on a dirt floor under a mosquito net and all these sorts of things and animals running around during the night, snakes coming through the house and so on. But, uh, you know, it, it was a sort of an adventure. It wasn't a hardship for us. And yet, you see, the seed was sown. Thanks for the precious seed and the love you sowed in us. My mother is still alive and cried when she had news from you. My brothers and sisters are also really happy to know that we are in contact again. And so I, you know, I got this, I said, We're, I'm going to Colombia. So I went down in April last year and met up with them and had a fantastic time seeing what the Lord was doing and what he had done in that family. Now, that is the original family list. And you'll see Amintas at the top. Here you'll, you'll see the family lined up according to age, the oldest here to the youngest, the oldest of the boys to here, mum and dad's, Felis Duarte and Maria, the mother. That was Felis's 86th birthday, and uh, he died in uh, 2016, just before I had the opportunity to see him again after all these years. And the youngest one of the family is Yoli. That's this girl right at the end. And uh, we'll, we'll be talking a little bit about her as we go along from here. She is the one who had this real desire to evangelize the next generation and help the young people before they get off into drugs and sex and all of the dissolution that's going on in the world around them today. And so uh, she started going to some of the schools many years ago, maybe 15 years ago, and uh, uh, it was going okay, but then they started to make things difficult for Yorley. Uh, you know, it's like the schools, if you're, if you're not with uh, some particular organization. They make it difficult. So what did she do? She went to university and got a degree in psychology. Now, I mean, that has to be dedication for the Lord, right? I want to evangelize, and the only way I can do it is if I study and get a degree in, in, in psychology. And she did that. She set up her own organization for the next generation. Uh, helping the next generation is uh, the logo of her uh, organization. And now she's getting invitations to go in the schools all over the city of Barranquilla, but not only there, but also out in other cities and even, even other countries now. So the Lord is doing something that is absolutely marvelous. Uh, the one on the left there in the pink is Aminta, the 12-year-old I baptized back in 1974. She's, in that, she's something like 54 or 55 now. I mean, that's how the time flies. But what has the Lord done in that time? A little seed was sown in the jungle and some literature was left for them to study. Problems came for them. There was no follow-up as far as we were concerned, but they just continued on studying the Bible and doing what they felt the Lord wanted them to do. And uh, now they've got a, a, a rather large local home church as well as a, an incredible work amongst the young people. That's Aminta, 55, is 56 now, and then Yoli is 37. And she's the youngest of the original family. That's them now. Yoli is married, as you can see. Her husband is Harold, and she has two boys. The youngest one is Juan Pablo, and the one on the, on, on the right there is Santiago, the oldest. And they're all involved in helping. Uh, young Juan Pablo has been, taught himself how to play the keyboard. So he accompanies a lot of the meetings uh, with, with a keyboard. And uh, Santiago is, is helping in evangelizing, going to the schools with his mother, and uh, along with some of the other family members as well. 
preaching the gospel to the, to the people there. There's the time of uh, Felix's 86th birthday, and they had a, a meeting there just to pray for him. And uh, the top part is uh, Felix in, in between Maria, his mother, his wife, I should say, and Yorley. And then down the bottom part, uh, Harold, Yorley's husband, and Maria in between. Felix and Maria. Okay. Now, when I went down there in April last year, uh, they were so excited to see me, and they said, you have no idea what Dad used to talk about all the time, what a man, Brother Ian would say. Brother Ian said this, and Brother Ian said that, and I'm thinking, man, I don't remember saying anything like that. <laughs> but anyway, if it helped them, that was good. And, and uh, of course, on Sunday after the morning meeting, you know, what happens here? Sometimes the family goes home to Mum's place. That's what we got here. This is, this is a family lunch at Mum's place. You get the idea? The, Maria is there. She had a pot that was this round and this deep, and it was what they, a type of a soup they call sancocho. In other words, it's full of all sorts of things. There's a bit of meat, and there's a little bit of chicken, and there's a little bit of potato and vegetables, and I don't know what else they put in there. But when you get to eat it, it's really delicious. I really like it. So, so what happens? They have one table, a normal-sized table, and they have to take turns getting something to eat. So that takes about two hours to go through the whole family. And then they get together and sing and do things, and they wanted me to show some pictures. That's me on the far right, hiding down here with my, uh, my projector, just projecting some photographs of them when they were kids. They had never seen photographs of themselves as kids out in the jungle. And I had a whole slew of photographs that we had taken, and they were so excited. And uh, some of them were crying, saying, this is just incredible to see how the Lord has brought you to us. And I thought, man, I, it's incredible that, that I've been brought to you. I mean, <laughs> the Lord has given me something that would boost me uh, uh, in a way that you could never imagine. And that's me with some of the grandchildren. And a couple of, one or two of the older people, Yorley's there on the right-hand right side, and Maria, the mother, is right beside me. But these are some of the grandchildren who are all serving the Lord and involved in helping Yorley with the schoolwork and many other activities, activities as well. Now, this is in the home, and this, uh, that's a brother-in-law of Yorley's, and he's now teaching the Word. He's... Uh, He's very much involved in helping in the schoolwork as well, and he's very gifted. He's preaching the gospel. He's teaching the Bible. And, uh, you know, you have to remember the original teaching and training they had was on those Emmaus correspondence courses. Now, you know, I had no idea when we left those Emmaus correspondence courses down there that one day I would be the chairman of the Emmaus board here in the States. And so the contact and the, and the circle has just been filled. And, and so it's just something absolutely marvelous for me. Now this is Yorley. She always dresses a bit like that. You can always pick her out with a green shirt. And uh, that's their logo in the, at the top left-hand side. That's the, the uh, generation, Young Generation Foundation without limits. So they want to reach every child available. Now, how did she get to be so popular in the schools in Barranquilla? Well, she went back 11 years and told me what had happened. She was just going along to one or two schools and things were going well. And then she had an invitation to go to a school, one of the roughest and toughest schools in Barranquilla. It's a city of several million people, so it's a big city. 
And uh, the police told her you, you shouldn't go there at all because every kid in that school is a drug pusher. They're all involved in drugs and it's very, very dangerous. She said, well, they're the people that the Lord really needs, wants to meet. And so she went there <clears throat> and the very first day she was in this school, there was a police raid. Would you believe? She was talking out front as in a similar situation like this. They're all high school kids, ninth uh, through, uh, through 12th grade. And, uh, uh, and, and all of a sudden, someone yells out, La policia, la policia. And there was a raid, a police raid coming on. And so she said it was like, a, she thought it was snowing. Kids were throwing little packets of white stuff up in the air all over the room. She said it was just, just unbelievable. And when the police came, they gathered up all of these packets of things. There were four tables that were loaded with drugs and knives and other weapons. Can you believe it? This is the school, and this is a school that was really degenerate. And so Yorley continued to go there, and uh, about uh, four months later, there was another raid while she was there. And uh, this time, they only collected three tables. So something's happening here. And it wasn't long after that that the chief leader of the gang that was producing all of these drugs and pushing these drugs, a girl, came up to Yorley and said, I'll give you 15 more days. If you come back after that, you will be killed. And so uh, Yorley went away thinking, wow, this is interesting. Um, she wasn't, she's not afraid. She's a person who says, well, if that's what the Lord wants me to do, I'll do it. And so um, time went by and it came to the Sunday before the 15 days were due to, to, to complete. And uh, she was thinking about going, well, she didn't have another school to go to the next day. She said, I'll, I'll go to that school tomorrow on the 15th day. What had happened was on that same Sunday, this gang leader had a big party, a big fiesta going with all of her gang. And a rival gang came over and started a fight. And uh, one of the gang leaders from the, from the other gang came running to this a uh, young lady uh, uh, with a knife, a big knife in his hand to kill her and uh, her best friend put herself in front of the gang leader and she got a knife in the heart and died on the spot. And uh, this girl, she went home crying, sobbing her eyes out and uh, she was saying, oh God, I don't know, I, I don't know why this is all happening. I have no control over the situation. I don't know. Uh, how I can ever change my way of life. It's impossible for me. If something's going to happen, you're going to have to do it because I can't do it. I, I, it's just beyond me. She got home and she, put it, she knelt beside a bed and she just sobbed her heart out. And then she said, God, you've got to do something. I can't do it. Now, Yorley didn't have a school to go to the next day, the Monday, and she decided to go to this school. It was the day she would have been killed if she went back. When she got there, who was standing in front of the whole school assembly was this gang leader with a microphone in her hand and she's saying to all of the kids, I'm so sorry for the way I treated you. I'm so sorry for what I've caused in your families and in your lives. I'm sorry for all of our friends who have died because of the drugs. I'm so and she was telling everyone how sorry she was and she, then she said, and last night I had to tell God that I can't change my life. I want to change my life. I don't know what to do. And, 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 and I was crying and sobbing and asking God to forgive me and help me. And of course, Yorley heard all of this. She got there to hear all of this. She went over and gave her a hug and led her to the Lord. Now, what happened in this school was so dramatic that the that next day, the director of the school called up the local newspaper, a big, the biggest newspaper in Barranquilla, told the story of how this 
school had changed because of what Yorley was doing. Many of the kids had changed lives. Why? Because the Lord had come in and given them new lives. And then told about what had happened with this gang leader and how she had repented. And you know what? The newspaper hit it on the front page and it went national around Colombia. And from then on, Yorley has been getting uh, requests from all over the country. Can you please come to our school? We need what you're doing. We need what you have. Please come and help us. And so that's what she does. And she's been going now for over the last 11 years constantly. Every day, five days a week, she goes to four different schools every, every day. And you can see the number of kids that are here. She's preaching to the next generation. She gets right down to them. She tells them about life. She jokes with them about some things and, and then she, she comes in and she says, I know you're coming from dysfunctional families. I know your parents don't really love you and you feel that and you're looking for love on the streets. You're looking for love through sex on the streets. You're looking for, for something different through the drugs and everything else that you're getting involved on and it's d destroying your lives. You need to come to the Lord. You need to find in Him the answer because you can't change your life. It's only the Lord who can change your life. And by this time, you have no idea. I was down there in April and I saw this. The kids are crying. They're crying because they're relating to this story. That is me. That's me she's talking about. And I really need to have what she's talking about. Now this is an interesting place. This is a, a city called Chinakuta. And uh, Yoli was on an aeroplane going from Barranquilla to Cucuta. That's the city right on the border with Venezuela where there's all the problems at the moment. And um, she was sitting next to a lady and uh, they began to talk uh, together as they were traveling and, the, and this lady beside her said, well, why, why are you going to Kukuta? What are you doing? She said, well, I'm going to the schools and I'm presenting to them the only way that their lives can be changed. I'm going to show them that they can do what they think is unimaginable. I tell them that if you change, have a changed life, you allow God to direct your life one of you kids might be the next president of this country. One of you will be a doctor. Others might be engineers. But you will have a changed life and your life will have purpose and meaning rather than doing all the things you're doing now, looking for what you cannot find in the drugs and the sex and everything else. And, uh, and she told this lady on the plane and, and, and the lady said to her, you know, she said, that's incredible. I am the mayor of Chinakuta. And I want you to come to our city tomorrow and I'm going to tell them that you have the stadium and I'm going to order all of the kids from this town to be in the stadium tomorrow at a certain time so that you can tell them what you've just told me. And so you all, this is you all in the stadium. And the, the Lord Mayor was there with her, sitting with her, her bodyguards beside her, a couple of police and, and a couple of other people from the, uh, the government there. And, uh, and Yorley gives them the same story. You need Jesus. And then uh, the interesting thing is You've heard of the believer's prayer, you know, and, and sometimes we say, well, the believer's prayer, you say, well, I believe in Jesus, I, I believe he died for me, and I accept him into my life, and you say you're saved. Well, she doesn't do it that way, but she does, she's first of all, I, and I heard her doing this, she says, you know, you can't change your lives. It's impossible for you to change your lives, but the Lord can help you to change. Is anybody here would like me to pray for you so that you can have the courage and what you need to be able to ask God to help you. Hands would go up. And then she'd say, okay, uh, those of you who are desiring this, 
or anyone else who didn't put their hand up who would like to ask Jesus to come into their lives and make a change in their lives, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And she just doesn't play, I believe in Jesus. He died on the cross to save me. No, she says, Lord, I am a mess. My life is terrible. Everything's going wrong. I have this problem with my family. I have this problem with sex. I have this problem with drugs. I have problems. And she goes through a whole list of things. And the kids are, kids are saying this and the tears are pouring down their eye, from their eyes, down their cheeks. And they're asking Jesus then to come into their lives and make a change in their lives so that they can have a new life, so they can have a new beginning. And, uh, and, and so here she was with all of these kids. At the end of this time, the... Um, uh, the mayor of Chinakuta said to Yoli, I want you to come back in August. This is August last year. And I I'm going to tell all of the parents of these children to come to the Colosseum with their kids. And I want you to tell the parents as well what you've been telling the kids. And she did that in August. And now parents are crying and sobbing and putting their hands up to receive Jesus as Savior. What is the Lord doing? <laughs> you know, this is something that is absolutely amazing. You can see the kids, these are some of the kids who are hearing the, the, at the beginning of her talk. She, she, she tells them stories about things and then, and then she gets into the serious business. And this is with the parents. When, the, when she gets the parents, she tries to get the parents to come as, as often as possible. Uh, it's not as often as she has the, the, just the young people. But I was there when we had a parents meeting. And you know what? I was amazed. I thought if she said something like that in a school here in, in Canada or in, 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 in the USA, she'd be in jail the next day. She said, you parents are to blame for the way that your children are behaving. They're out on the street doing drugs and sex and everything else, and you are to blame because there's no love in your home. You don't love your children. You don't care for your children. You don't show them appreciation for who they are. And you're driving them out onto the streets, and you are to blame, and you need to repent. Okay. The parents are all looking dumbfounded, and then they start crying. <laughs> I saw it. The parents are crying because they say, yeah, it's true. And then she prayed. You can see the hands going up for the parents who want to accept the Lord as Savior and have a changed life. She says, you need, she talks about the five love languages. I, I don't know if she's read the book or what, but she says, I teach them the love. You need to have love in your home. If there's no love in the home between the parents, if there's no love between the parents and the children, then they're going to look for love somewhere else, and it's not the sort of love that will do them any good at all. You need to show love. And you children who are sitting beside your parents today, you don't respect them because of the way they have treated you. You need to respect your parents and you need to show them love even though they haven't loved you because that's the only way that you can have a reconciliation. The only way that you can come to a place where you can walk together in peace and love and unity and have changed lives and changed families. And by this time, the parents and the children begin to hug each other and, and crying on each other's shoulders. It's just... It's, it's unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. You can see the kids with the parents crying their eyes out. The parents are happy because they're being reconciled. She calls it a reconciliation meeting, reconciliation between the children and their parents. So there are all these people getting saved. There are so many kids who are getting saved continuously. And uh, then the parents are getting saved. Many of them, she, I, I said to her during the year last year, I said, you know, you, there really needs to be some sort of follow-up for all these kids and people who are getting saved. 
you can't just get them saved and then leave them fly and leave them loose. We, there needs to be some training, some discipleship, some way to help them to, to grow in the things of the Lord, some way to help them to, to study the Bible and to learn what the Bible teaches so that they can mature spiritually. And she said, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to do something. I, I have 70 young people coming to my house on Saturdays. 70 people coming to, kids coming to the house. She has all sorts of programs going with the kids to help the, the, those who can come. I said, you, you need to get an auditorium somewhere where you can really have a, a bi-monthly youth rally or something like that. She said, well, we had a big rally the other, the other year. Look, even the teachers are crying. And I saw this. The teachers, are, when she's asking who would like to have a change of life, the teachers are raising their hands and praying the prayer. Can you believe it? So she said, I, I spoke to the Lord Mayor of Badanki, a big city, if I could use the, the stadium. Now this stadium is the number one soccer stadium in Colombia. This is where they have the playoffs for the World Cup, when the other countries come to have in playoffs. And some, if you know anything about soccer, you'll understand. And uh, so he, he was a little reticent at first, but then he said, okay, there's some rules you've got to obey. She said, we'll look after everything. Now, Yoli's husband is a techie. He was, he was into graphic arts and all those sorts of things before, he, uh, before they got involved in this ministry. And uh, so he, uh, he set the stadium up, as you can see, with speakers and uh, flat screens all over the place so the kids could see what was going on. There were 20,000 young people came to a rally in the stadium in Barranquilla. And you're always giving them the same message. Only Jesus can change your life. Only Jesus can bring something new and worthwhile into your life. And she's talking about having another one of these stadium affairs uh, maybe next year. Now, these are some of her nieces and nephews. She's got plenty of them. She's got 35, you remember? And so she's, she trained them to do some sort, not a skit, but some sort of a pantomime play. The people in black are the, the, the Pharisees and the Jews, and they're, they're, they're going to crucify the man in white there. It's a, it's a story of Jesus, how he came and how he helped people and how he did good things. But the people rejected Jesus. They wanted to go their own way, and then finally they, they had a part of the play where he was, uh, was seen to be killed by, by the, the people there wearing the black. And she said, you, you have no idea what it's like to see all of the people in the stadium crying. Just thinking about what happened to Jesus. You know, they knew about Jesus. It's a Catholic country. They have a background in Jesus and Mary and the cross and all the other things that go along with that. But now, the reality of what actually happened to Jesus and why it happened, because she tells him... This is the only way that people can be saved because of what he did when he died on the cross to save you from, from the penalty of your sins. He took that penalty for you. And so uh, there, that's, that's what happened. And, and again, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. You know, I'm so thankful that I have had nothing to do with this. <laughs> we just threw out some seed out in the jungle 45 years ago. And what has God done with that little bit of seed? And I'd like to challenge everyone here today. How much seed have you been able to sow recently? How have you been able to sow that seed? There are many different ways to do it. And you're always not just working with the kids in school. She's doing many other activities as well. She's, all, you've got all these Venezuelans coming across the border now and into the towns. And she has the team out there feeding these 
people on the streets who are living on the streets of Barranquilla. She gets this, no doubt, from the, some of the stores and places where they have a little extra or they're giving it to help. And so she's got a team going out and, and helping. So that's uh, Yori and Harold uh, at the stadium in 2016. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Now we can't save a single soul. We can't change a single life. But we can plant the seed. We can do something by telling people about the Lord and planting the seed of the gospel in the hearts of those around us. Right here in, in Windsor, I'm sure there are opportunities to plant seed. You have to think about what sort of ground you're going to be working in, how it's going to be necessary to use different methods to what they're using in Colombia, what she's using. But God will give the increase when we begin to sow the seed and do the right thing. It's God who will do the work for us and in us. Okay, now this is um, a photograph of Yorley in Israel in October last year. And that's interesting too. Now here's, here's this little girl from the jungle. The last time, uh, before she left, she was five when they left the jungle area, running around bare feet. You saw the sort of clothes that they were in when I took the photograph. Andrew Roethlisberger and I used to take boxes of clothing up to leave with them for 13 kids. And while I was sitting there talking with uh, some of the guys, the ones who are now the shoemakers, they said they were the oldest of the boys. They said, you know, we used to like you and Andrew coming. Why? Well, it wasn't because of the clothes or the gospel. It was because you had some candy as well. <laughs> they were honest, weren't they? But, you know, all of those things touched hearts. It was just a little gesture of love that they responded to. Now, Yorley, as a result of something that, you know, happened many years ago, the father got saved and he began to teach the family. He began to train them in the things of the Lord. Each one of them, even the grandchildren, so on. Now, Yorley, because of what she's doing in the schools and why there are such big changes in the schools in Colombia, she sent me a, uh, she scanned a letter that she received just last year. I think it was about June or July. She sent me a copy of the letter. It was from the ambassador of Israel in Bogota, inviting her to represent Colombia in a symposium about helping the youth of Latin America. And uh, there were people from other Latin American countries who went as well, but Yoli was the one, one of the ones who was chosen from Colombia. There were two that went, actually. And she was, she was on the num number one on the list. Well, when she got there, she listened to the other people and then she had to make her presentations about what she is doing. And everybody was very impressed with what she's doing because she's teaching people not just a psychological way of getting better, but bringing into their lives someone who can do the changing, someone who can give the power to change. And you know what? After her presentations there, the rep from Israel said, I want you to come back to Israel and teach in the schools in Israel for one year the things that you're teaching in Colombia. Can you believe it? A, a Christian girl from Colombia teaching the gospel to Jewish kids in Israel. I mean, it's a God thing, right? It's unbelievable what God is doing through this Yorley. And she's totally dedicated to the Lord. She told me that 
about uh, six or seven years ago, she and her husband, Harold, were, was getting busier and busier, and he was always trying to get to be with her to take along sound equipment and all the other technical stuff that she needed. And they both prayed together and said, look, we should really just trust the Lord. We're never going to ask anybody for anything. We're just going to trust the Lord to supply what we need for the work we are doing. And so they don't ask anybody for, for funds, for anything. Usually, and it's a normal thing, when you're, you're, she's recognised by the government as somebody that the schools should invite to teach good morals and all of those sorts of things as a psychologist. And so they pay her plane fare here and there, wherever she's going. And one of the school directors said to her, how much do you charge for coming for a day? She said, well, we don't charge anything because we are serving the Lord. But if you want to give something, that's up to you. We're not going to demand anything. And uh, at the end of her session, the director of that school came up to her and said, look, we were going to give you so much. But after hearing what you've done, I want to double that. So, you know, she's trusting the Lord and the Lord is, is helping in those ways and they're able to live and they're able to do the work. But there are all sorts of other things that are happening, like she's got to study English now in order to be, go, be able to go to, to Israel to teach in English in the Jewish schools. And so she's coming up to uh, Chicago in April, would you believe? And she's, uh, she's got a school there where she's going to be there for about six months studying intensively English so that she can go back to Israel and teach in Israel. What do you think of that? Of course, she just happened to mention to me one time, because I'm a confidant now, and uh, she said, well, you know, it's interesting, but we just don't have the money to, to, to pay for the, the course there. And uh, I believe the Lord wants me to go, but I just don't know how it's going to come in. She wasn't asking me for anything, but she did mention that. And so we're so thankful to hear that some folk here are thinking of helping. And that is absolutely marvelous. It's absolutely incredible. We really, she will really, well, she really appreciate I said there are some who are thinking of helping, uh, but I don't know what's, what's actually happening. And so she was, she was pouring, her eyes were, I was on, on FaceTime with her. Her eyes were just pouring water. And Harold came over and he was hugging her and thanking the Lord that there is some provision. So uh, she's heading back to Israel. This is the, these are the, uh, the Israeli people beside her there. And uh, the interesting thing was that when she was making her presentation in Israel, in Tel Aviv, uh, there was another man came in and, and was listening to some of the presentations. And he came up to her afterwards and he said, I'm the uh, director of a university in El Salvador, in Central America. And I would, I'll pay you a way to come to El Salvador to teach in the university what you're teaching here, what you're te talking about teaching here. So she said, well, uh, it's a long time to be without my husband. I've been here for three weeks and I'll be away for another three weeks. He said, well, no, no, we'll pay for your husband to come too. So um, it was set up and in November she was in El Salvador. And the, the, this director of the school, the, the university, said, look, it's going to be very difficult because the men are ma macho men. They're all muy, very macho here in, in El Salvador, and they would never listen to a woman. But uh, if you understand that, 
please come. She said, oh, I'm not worried about that, I'll come. So she went to El Salvador, and that's her in El Salvador, in front of some of the students from that university, and she's giving them the same story. <laughs> you need to change your life. The things that this life offers just doesn't, just doesn't do it for you. You need the Lord, you need the Holy Spirit. And then she, she, she was preaching the gospel, people were getting saved, she, she's just showing the love, she's not trying to heal him or anything, she, she's not Pentecostal. Uh, she doesn't believe God can heal, but what she's doing is just comforting him while, while she prays. Look at the hands going up. Look at the people crying there. This is in El Salvador. Look, men. And the, and the director of the university came up to her afterwards, after one of these meetings, and said, you know, I have never seen men crying in this university ever about anything. You've touched their hearts like nobody else could touch their hearts. Well, who's doing the work? She's a mouthpiece for who? For the Lord, right? And she recognizes that. She said, it's not me. It's what the Lord is doing through me. And so we're so thankful that uh, Bob and I will be able to go down there. We're leaving in about three weeks, I think it is. We'll be down there for about six weeks. And the purpose of our visit down there at that time isn't just to visit around and, and have fun. We're, we're going down with the express purpose of setting up a follow-up program. Now, I was involved in the Billy Graham crusade a long time ago, back in 1959, in the first crusade in Sydney, Australia. And we, we ordered double-decker buses to go to the showgrounds every day. And had, we did the whole suburbs around where the chapel was, and we had the buses full every night going to the Billy Graham crusade. But if we wanted to be a counsellor, we had to go through the, the counselling sessions with somebody that Billy Graham, Charlie, Charlie Riggs was the guy who came. He was an open brethren guy, apparently. Uh, it didn't matter, he was still good. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, the interesting thing was that I learned a lot about counselling and uh, I saw something of the organisation. And then when that crusade was over, our chapel got a, a bundle of follow-up cards from the people in our area who had made decisions for the Lord. So we got in touch with every one of them and in our local chapel we had courses that we called things that accompany, companies, things that accompany salvation out of, uh, out of uh, Hebrews. Things that accompany salvation. And Walter Lickley was one of the major, some of you may remember that name, he was one of the main teachers for that. But you know what? We were sowing the seed then even. And, and as we sow the seed, the Lord is able to bless. We, ha we have to do different things. We don't have to do all the same thing. We have to just wait on the Lord. What does he want me to do? How can I do it? How can I best serve him? What's the best way of doing this? And the Lord will open doors. You ask Barbara. Uh, we've said to each other, all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm available, and your calendar fills up in about five minutes for the year. It, it's amazing. Uh, if you're willing and want to serve the Lord in some way, say, Lord, I am available. Show me what I can do. Give me something to do. Help me to reach out to the lost. Help me to sow the seed so that people can be brought to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And this is uh, another, uh, this is actually inside the, the university there where Yorley is speaking to many of the students again. As you can see, there's quite a crowd there. You can see Harold up at the back there with his green shirt on, organizing the sound and everything. And now decision time. What happens at decision time? You see all of these kids 
putting their hands up because they want to receive the Lord Jesus. This is why it's so important to have a follow-up program, and that's the reason why Bob and I are going to set up something in the whole country, not just in Barranquilla. We're going to have to start there and get something organized that will function and work so that from there we can train people from the other cities in Colombia. And, uh, you know, Bob and I will be going... To, uh, that uh, uh, woman who... Uh, Aminta, who was baptized many years ago, she's living in Cucuta, right on the border with Venezuela, with all this nonsense going on at the moment. And the USA has just put warplanes down there with food and things to help the people. Uh, but anyway, um, we'll be going through Kukuta as well. And there's a, a missionary there with TEAM, the Evangelical Alliance Mission. And he's a good friend of mine. I've known him since I was in Colombia many years ago. And uh, we're going to find key people in different cities eventually who will be able to run a program of follow-up and discipleship of the kids and the adults from the families of the schools to be able to come and be trained in the things of the word and in this way not only help the kids and the, and the parents but also build up some of the assemblies and the churches in the country. So it's got a twofold. And so please pray for wisdom to, to be able to do things in a way that will truly honor the Lord and meet the tremendous need there. I planted the seed, Paulus watered it, but God made it grow. You know, we, uh, we can't save a single soul but we can make ourselves available to God to do whatever he wants and to ask him to help us to be able to plant seeds. So neither he who plants or he who waters anything, it's only God who makes the things grow. And that's our position. Now, Yoli, not only in schoolwork, she went into this slum area of Barranquilla at Christmas time with some gifts for the kids, and she was able to speak to them about the Lord and uh, to the parents as well. You can see it's a pretty slummy area. But uh, their hearts are there for the Lord, and they're serving the Lord, and the Lord is blessing. But please pray for Yorley and her husband Harold and this amazing work in the colleges and schools of Latin America because it's not just Colombia anymore. She's had invitations when she was in El Salvador giving classes to this university. There was the Minister for Education from... from uh, no, um, Guatemala. And uh, he said, this is fantastic. We're going to set up for you to come to Guatemala to teach in our schools in Guatemala. I mean, what is the Lord doing? I mean, it's just beyond the planning 